Christmas is a time of great celebration because of the birth of Jesus Christ around 2,000 years ago. And celebration, of course, is a proper response. But there is another response that we should have to the birth of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And that other response is that we must worship him. And celebrating and worship are closely connected, aren't they? We, we tend to bring those two things into one. They're not the same thing, though. It's easy for us to celebrate Christmas without worshiping Jesus Christ. And we know it's easy to do that because you look around and everybody is celebrating Christmas. But not everybody is worshiping Jesus Christ, right? Well, we've already read Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. I want to skip forward just a few verses and read a little bit more from Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses 25 through 32. And see just one of the examples of worship that we have in relation to the Christmas story. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 32. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple... And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Why would we remember Jesus' birth and respond by worshiping him? In particular, that that response of worship... Well, the simplest answer is because he is the Savior that God promised from the very beginning. If you've been here the last few weeks, you know we've been over and over the story that we recited in Luke 2, hearing bits and pieces of it each week. And also that I keep pointing us back to the fact that this is a fulfillment of a promise that God had made thousands of years before, starting 
right when Adam and Eve first fell into sin in the garden, God gave the promise that he would send a Savior. He gave a promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And so, we've been talking about that, and we remember now here, Jesus is finally born, and we remember that he is the Savior, he is the fulfillment of that promise. And so, of course, having seen that fulfillment, having seen that promise come to be just as God planned, just as he laid out that it would happen, the only way that we can respond is to rejoice, to give thanks, and then to worship Him. What does it mean, though, that He is the Savior? Well, it means that the only way anybody can have hope to have their sins forgiven, rather than, of course, to receive the punishment that our sins deserve, is through Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, we read that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so the reality is that if we only celebrate and we do not worship Jesus Christ, we don't really have anything to celebrate. You might be celebrating the fact that you like family. You might be celebrating the fact that your family has traditions and you enjoy keeping those traditions. And there's all kinds of things that that can be happy about Christmas. But if it wasn't for the fact that he came to die in our place because of our sins there wouldn't really be anything to celebrate. And the moment you have that in focus, the moment you realize that there is a reason Jesus came to earth, and it wasn't just so that we could once a year, when it was winter or Christmas time or whatever, have like this tradition-filled time. Okay? Once you realize that there's something more to it than that, that the reason he came to earth the reason he started as a baby, the reason ultimately leads directly to his death on the cross, then all of a sudden you recognize, oh, that's what it is that we're actually celebrating. We're celebrating the fact that God loved his people enough to send his only begotten son to die. Not just to be born, right? This is why Christmas and Easter are the high points of the, of the Christian year. It's because the one is the beginning and the other is the end of the work of Jesus' life here on earth. But Jesus said that the only way that we could get to the Father was through him. Well, getting to the Father means being brought into heaven. That is the salvation that that was promised by God, that we would be able to be made right with Him, that we would be able to enter into glory with Him. 
that we would be able to see him face to face once again, as Adam and Eve did from the beginning. And so, ultimately, if we don't worship Jesus, then the other option is to face his terrible wrath. On the one hand, you can worship him this morning, and then you can have a real Christmas celebration. Or you can refuse to worship, and you can try to think nice thoughts and have a good time, but in the end, it won't make any difference. Because without Jesus Christ being worshipped, there is no salvation from our sins. And that's the whole point that we're celebrating in the first place. Now, today, and this has been a temptation for people for many, many years, but today it's becoming more popular, even among Christians, we're beginning to doubt the truth of this fact that there's only two choices. Either you worship Jesus, or you're condemned to face his terrible wrath. How are we doubting it? Well, we'll, we'll talk about the, the wrath, not really being wrath, but, but more being the uh, just you getting what you want. Well, you getting what you want is actually pretty miserable. So there's, there's an element of truth to that, that when, that when you run after sin and then you actually get it, you're not actually happy about it, right? It, it never, it, it, it's pleasant for a little bit. It's, it's, it's nice on the tongue for a little bit, but then it's bitter, it turns bad and it's corrupted. And so, in a sense, yeah. I mean, either you worship God and turn away from your sin, either you worship Jesus Christ and, and, and repent of your sin, or you run headlong into your sin. And you'll be miserable. But it's not only that. There's also the fact that Jesus' second coming is with a sword coming out of his mouth. His first coming, the one that we're celebrating here now, is as a baby. But the second coming, he's coming to judge. And his judgment isn't, okay, well, if you really, really want to keep living in adultery, I guess you can. And, and you know, you get what you deserve from that. That's, that's only the beginning of the judgment. The wrath that he pours out on sin is described by Jesus himself as a place where the worm never dies and the fire never goes out. And that's not just being able to live in your sin continually. Right? He's talking about hell. So why is it that Christians are beginning to doubt that truth. Well, part of it is because exclusivity is unpopular today. And inclusivity is very, very popular. We want to be as inclusive as possible, right? Well, there's a sense in which absolutely we want to be inclusive. I was just at the uh, assisted living 
home last night doing a Christmas Eve service, and I told them that the church includes old people, and they need to be in the, in the church. We're inclusive in that sense, right? The, the, this message is for everybody. It's inclusive. But it's also a message that includes this very exclusive truth, that there are those who are made people of God, and there are those who are not made people of God. There are those who worship Christ, and there are those who are judged by him instead. And so it's scary to think that Christianity is exclusive. It's scary for us to say that today. What we want to do is when we go into Starbucks, well, at least I go into Starbucks, I go into Starbucks a lot, When we go into Starbucks, we want everybody to be able to celebrate this season equally, right? We want everybody to be able to uh, just, just think of this as a pleasing, happy time of gifts. And it is a very pleasing, happy time of gifts, But the fact of the matter is that unless we also worship Christ, we can't really celebrate it, like I've been saying. And so you see that in our culture. You see that the the Christmas songs that they play at Starbucks, for example, are year after year being cut of all of the Christian influence, right? And so we say, remember the reason for the season, and we say it to each other because we don't want to become caught up in this materialistic, like, everybody's so intense about gifts kind of thing. But we don't really want to say it to everybody else. Remember the reason for the season. They're, they're going to look at you and be like, well, what are you talking about? And then you're going to have to actually, you know, have a conversation with them. Nobody wants to do that around Christmas time. We just want them to be able to, like, think happy thoughts and, and feel good about themselves, right? But have you noticed all of the, the, the thinking happy thoughts and feeling good about themselves doesn't pan out the way that everybody wanted it to, even if you leave them alone? Even if you never have a serious conversation with them, there's a reason that the articles that are going around on Facebook and on Twitter and into your news feed and everything are all about what? How to not have conflict at Christmas. (laughs) They're, They're like about how to actually have fun at Christmas, about how to not be miserable at Christmas, about how to avoid fighting with people at Christmas, and on and on and on. And it's like, Well, I thought this was a happy time. Why do we have to read all of these? Why do we we feel the need for all of these kinds of things that are like, how to actually have fun when you're trying to have fun? How to actually be happy when when you're committed to being happy? How to actually be happy even though you don't feel like being happy and everybody else is trying to make you miserable? That's basically what the... what. I think can, you can sum up a lot of those articles as, you know, everybody else is, is going to do their best to make your life miserable and, 
and your kids will get up too early and stay up too late, and everybody will be obsessed with presents, and, you know, and so if you just, if you just, and then you fill in the blank with, you know, what is the solution presented in this article? Well, the, pres- the, the solution that I'm presenting tonight, or this morning, rather, is worship Jesus Christ. And the moment you worship Jesus Christ, everything else will fall into its proper place. You'll no longer be caught up in the fact that the the one tradition that you love from your family above all other traditions, for whatever reason, can't happen this year. Maybe it's because you're here right now because the tradition involves at 1045 you start opening presents and now it's 1045 and you're missing it. The one tradition that you love, you know, or maybe it's the one brother or sister that you love can't be there that week. Or ultimately, the many sad things that can happen, the saddest one is death. And so now this year you're facing Christmas for the first time or the second time or the third time, remembering somebody that you love that you lost, whether that was to death or whether it's because they live halfway across the world now or whatever the reason. What happens when we worship Jesus Christ is all of those things get set into their proper place. It's not that they stop being sad. It's not that our families suddenly all are made up of perfect people who get along and never argue and never fight with each other. Right, But what happens is, you, if you worship God, have no fear. You've received the gift of Jesus Christ, and so you are at peace. Remember, this is the message that Jesus comes and he has he carries peace in his hand now that is the good side of the news right if you worship jesus you will be at peace you will have peace peace with god and peace with man in various ways okay <clears throat> but the flip side of that message which is what I was saying is the part that we none of us want to remember, the flip side of that is that if we don't worship Jesus, we won't be at peace with God, and then God will punish the wicked. If you go all the way back to Numbers, near the beginning of the Bible, 20, Numbers 24-17, Balaam, is prophesying to the king of Moab. Balaam is not a good character. If you read throughout the Bible, he's condemned Old and New Testament. Okay, Because the king of Moab had hired Balaam to curse the people of God. But Balaam keeps being forced by God to speak the truth. And he can't curse God's people. Well, here's what we read him saying to the king of Moab. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. 
A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel. Now, so far, this is, this is great. This is like the Christmas message, right? Moab, the king of Moab is trying to curse the people of God, and Balaam says, no, a star is going to rise from Israel. And this, of course, is what the wise men came for. They, the star rose in the east, and, and they came. And so we're thinking, yeah, this is a beautiful example of one of the Old Testament promises, prophecies, that there would be a Savior that would come and rescue God's people. But, but it continues, A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the forehead of Moab and tear down all the sons of Sheth. <gasps> Merry Christmas. Right? Merry Christmas. The star shall rise in the east and he'll have a scepter. He'll be a king. It'll be wonderful. And then he'll use it. And what's a scepter used for? It's crushing. So who were these Moabites? Well, the Moabites are the descendants of righteous Lot. Remember, Lot is Abraham's nephew. Abraham's descendants were chosen, and Lot's weren't, even though Lot feared God. Now, at this point, you're you're desperate for some relief, right? And you say, well, isn't it possible that there could be a second chance for those who never believed, or at least for those who never heard? Might there not be some mitigating circumstances, right? Well, God has given us many second chances. Second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. Remember, if you go back to the beginning, Adam and Eve, when they sinned, were not struck down dead immediately, but instead were promised a Savior. Their children didn't obey God, so God demonstrated his judgment and salvation by preserving Noah through the flood. And then Noah's children didn't obey God, but he continued to reveal himself to the people of Israel and through them to the rest of the world. He even told the Moabites about his judgment on sin and the salvation of those who turned to him through one of their own prophets. So the Moabites had their own prophet, Balaam, And God used that prophet to tell the Moabites about the necessity of believing in Jesus Christ. And when you read about the wise men coming, what most people who've studied this think is that that was the fulfillment, the the, the star rising in the east. Those wise men came having heard that promise having written down that prophecy, having kept that prophecy for thousands of years themselves, they were indeed looking forward to the coming of this Savior. And so they came out of the east. They weren't Israelites who came, but they had that prophecy. 
In other words, God had given the people of the world the good news from the very beginning. The whole world has always known that we need a Savior. And every day that we live is a second chance to hope in that Savior, just like the Magi did. So let's read about those Magi, those wise men. Matthew 2 Verses 1 and 2 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east. And what did they come to do? We have come to worship him. We have come to worship him. And then skipping a few verses to verse 9, it says, After hearing the king, they went on their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is what we want Christmas to be about, right? Rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground. And worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so it seems that through that prophecy of Balaam, they knew of the coming of Jesus Christ. Maybe, though, maybe it was through the wisdom of Solomon that they knew this. Remember that the wisdom of Solomon was spread far and wide throughout the world. Or maybe they knew of it through Jews who had moved to their area. Regardless, my point is, they were not Jews. They were not the chosen people of the descendants of Abraham. And yet, they knew and they rejoiced And they worshipped. And that's our work this morning. To know the truth and to rejoice in worship. We've always known that our only hope to escape God's wrath is in His promised Savior. The people of the world have always known this. That's why the angel describes the news of his coming as good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. And that's why when Simeon saw Jesus, he praised God, saying, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. It's in the presence of the Israelites but it's also in the presence of all peoples. The Magi far in the east knew. A light of revelation to the Gentiles, Simeon continues. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. And so this is why the Magi worshipped him and gave him gifts, even though they weren't Jews. But it's not the only reason they worshipped him. They worshipped him because of who he is. All of this waiting that God has done, 
all of this delaying of judgment is because of his loving patience with us. But his patience is not going to last forever. He is waiting for us to bow before him as Lord of our lives. And if we refuse to admit what he is, we will remain his enemies for all eternity. The temptation is to look at Jesus Christ, especially at this time of year, and to say, well, it's, you know, it's good news for all people. And I say, yes, the good news is for all people. But it's not good news unless they accept that good news and worship him and bow down. What we always want to do is find a different way of being made right with God. Who is Jesus? Your answer to that question determines whether or not you're going to worship him. Jesus is not just a good man, like the Muslims say. Jesus is not a hoax, like the Jews say. He's not a crutch for your psyche, like the atheists say. He's not an impersonal force, like the Buddhists say. He's not one of several ways to God, like the liars say. And most of all, he's not a cruel, harsh taskmaster, like Satan says. He is the Son of God who came because of his great love and was born a child. And he is King of kings, Lord of lords. He's the Prince of Peace who will crush all his enemies under his feet. And he came in human form because of his great love for us. He came to claim us as his own and to save us. And he came publicly for all to see, for all to hear, and all to believe. Now, will you bow the knee and worship him with us as we sing our praise to him? Let's pray.